Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Ron, we want to talk about something that seems to be on a lot of people's minds right now, and I think justifiably so. The markets have had, what, an incredible run for 11 and a half, 12 years now? It's been 10 and a half for sure. And there's a lot of uneasiness out there. I've been reading stories about you know big wealth managers saying to people, don't be aggressive now, back off a little bit. What's going on right now? Well, if you're a seasoned investor and you're finding market conditions are leaving you scratching your head, you're not alone. The biggest and brightest names in the investment galaxy are doing just that. The current environment is not anything investors have experienced in the past. And as a result, many of the old rules uh, that they use to make money, especially in the fixed income markets, just aren't working right now. So yes, we are in very, very different times. And so today we wanna spend some time talking about why these times have gotten so bizarre and how long can this bizarro last? And we'll look at some examples of some really crazy things right now where risk reward's been turned on its ear. And then when we'll move into the sequel to this show, which we'll be doing next week, and we'll be going through 11 different things that you can do right now to tighten your portfolio up. Because when you're this late in the cycle, you don't want to be too aggressive. You want to make sure that if we do have a market downturn, that you've gone through your portfolio and you've done what you can to lower your risk. So one of the things that we talked about this in previous shows, we've been keeping an eye on interest rates and yield curves and things of that nature in the fixed term market. What, what are some of the, the, the red flashing lights that you see out there that we should really be paying attention to? Well, to put a little bit of background and to sort of unpack the story is uh, during the thick of the economic crisis back in 2007 to 2009, frankly, the global financial system faced some real risks of collapse. And if central banks hadn't acted quickly and decisively, frankly, you could have easily had a repeat of 1929. And they rose to the challenge. So not only the central banks in the United States, but in China, in Asia, in Europe, in North America and South America, they essentially all got together and they increased the amount of money in circulation. And that took unimaginable levels of new debt. And they used these dollars to intervene in the global economy. They started buying back bonds. They also started bailing out financial institutions. They nationalized institutions. And so after they stabilized the financial system, then they went out and they started pumping money into the system. So right now you have these incredible amounts of cash that have been created and need a place to be invested. And as a result, anytime you have too much money chasing too few investments, it pushes prices up to unsustainable levels. And just about anybody you talk to says that we have a bubble in the bond market, we have a bubble in the US dollar, we have a bubble in many of the world's stock markets. So a lot of the key things that people invest in, currencies, stocks, and bonds, are frankly in bubble markets. 
And so you have to make sure that you're protecting yourself because like I say, we're in some crazy times. Gord, have you ever seen negative interest rates before? Well, I, I've heard of them, but I've never seen them. And I, I read the story about Denmark, I think, isn't it? Where if yep. you if you want to take out a mortgage in Denmark now, let's say you want to take out a $200,000 mortgage. Well, you get 0% on your mortgage and they give you a half a percent to make the loan. They're giving you money to borrow money from them. I've never, no, I've never seen that. Have you? I've been in this business for, well, for four decades and I've never seen anything, and in, there's no historical precedent for negative interest rates. In fact, if you take a look at half the bonds that have been issued by Europe have negative interest rates attached to them. So if, uh, if you borrow money, the lender is paying you to borrow, and that is just crazy. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to force people to take money out of the banks and they're trying to force people to spend money because most of the Western economies now, about 70% of that economy is made up from people like you and I going to the store and buying things, buying stereos. Cars and cars groceries and, and whatever, yeah. yeah. Exactly, and if we're not doing that, the economy is slowing down. And unfortunately, it's almost like you've got a, uh, someone who's got a, a crack addict and they continually need more and more of the addictive substance to give them the same level of high. And so governments haven't given up and they put more and more and more money into the markets and they're just making them loftier and bubblier and bubblier. So it's not a problem that looks like it's gonna be fixed anytime soon. And as I say, another good example of this is Greece. They've been in trouble for years. Their economy's been a sordid mess for years. And not only is it a sordid mess, but if you're an investor and you go back and look at a little bit of their financial history, they have defaulted over the last hundred years over and over and over and over again, you know? Wasn't the most recent one of this where the EU, the rest of the EU had to go in and bail them out, right? Yeah, that was the financial crisis we saw and it's been unfolding in Greece for the last 20 years. And Europe just keeps putting more and more money into them. But here you are, you've got the Greek government and recently, the Greek government had 10-year bonds at 1.99%. U.S. government bonds had a yield of 2.03%. So Greek bonds, which are serial defaulters, which couldn't find a balanced budget if they had a seeing eye dog, those bonds are paying you less with far more risk than Uncle Sam's bonds, which are considered some of the safest bonds on earth. So things have gotten so twisted. And, you know, I know you're, you're a news junkie, Gord. And, you know, if you sit down right now and we, we just talk about all the things that are going on in the global economy, and I know you could just rattle off a whole bunch. Well, I mean, you've got a China-U.S. trade war, China-Canada trade war. You've got Russia interfering in things where they're not supposed to interfere, allegedly. But I think proof. You've got the the Iran nuclear deal. There's there's North Korea. Uh, there's any number of hot buttons out there 
that are could potentially blow up in our faces, pardon the pun, and then what happens? Then we have a real crisis on our hands. And, and Ron, isn't what you're getting at here is what, if, if things go south in a big hurry, the governments don't have any tools left to try to put a stop to it here, with interest rates being this low. Exactly. Normally, in this part of the cycle, when you've got, you know, I mean, Brexit, a German recession, Venezuela, the Straits of Hormuz, Iran, all these other things, markets typically aren't trading at their all-time highs. It's like investors, Gord, just aren't afraid of all these things going on, and you just add up all the things that could blow this economy up that are sitting out there, you'd at least expect to people to have a little bit of trepidation and maybe uh, take a little bit off the table, create a little bit more cash that would bring markets go down. But markets are trading at all time highs right now. And so, you know, literally you've got everybody piling in to all these investments and they are not taking into account the massive amounts of risk out there. And so risk at the moment is a forgotten consideration because uh, we haven't seen a global recession or marriage or market meltdown in a decade. And uh, a lot of the investors haven't even been around that long, especially some of the people that are trading these computer algorithms. They're literally, they're guys that started working for the big investment banks after the last crash. So they've developed computer programs which aren't even taking into account what can happen if one of these problems that Gord mentioned, you know, starts to blow up. So well, UBS Wealth Management, I read this story here a month or so ago, uh, the world's largest wealth manager with more than $2.4 trillion under management just turned bearish on equities. They said, hey, you got to be the downside risks are increasing. There's just too much uncertainty out there. It's time to get defensive. So when you see something like that, you kind of sit up and pay attention. It sort of reminds me of a guy I used to see on my way home from work. He'd stand out in front of the office, and if somebody was smoking and threw down a cigarette and it had maybe two drags left on it, he'd rush up, grab the cigarette before it went out, and took the last two drags. And that sort of reminds me of how investors are treating all the risks out there at the moment in the market. They might realize that there's not a lot of room left, but they're taking, they're trying to suck the last couple of drags out of this market before it goes over the side. And so I think that can be a really, really critical mistake. And so, you know, we want to talk a little bit about why this can't go on forever. You know, as you were, as, as you mentioned, Gord, what happens in the past is that governments have a toolbox. They have things that they can do to help the economy if it goes into uh, 2000 to 2003 recession, 2007 to 2009 recession, you know, they pull out their toolbox and they start doing things to the economy that help the economy to recover or slow the fall down. Historically, one of the things they used to do was low, as you said, was lower interest rates. But have you been to the bank recently and tried to get a deposit? Well, they're paying next to nothing. You know, it's uh, deposits are, you know, five-year GICs right now around 2%. I mean, you get nothing on your money. And that's because interest rates now are at, from what I understand, they're at 5,000-year lows. Really? Lowest we've ever seen in history. 
And so if you're a central banker and you're sitting out there and seeing a recession, one thing you do is lower interest rates, as, as you mentioned. And we can't do that when they're already at zero. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do when you've got rates in Europe that are a zero or less, or even in the United States, which has one of the highest rates in the world, at like one and a half percent. So typically in a recession, banks will lower interest rates by on average 5%. And in the last recession, rates were between 5 and 6% on government bonds back in 2006, 2007. And then the government had enough room so they could lower rates a long way to put the brakes on the bear market that we were seeing. But how do you do that when rates are zero? You have virtually no room. You might be able to take them negative, but negative rates don't help anybody. You know, negative rates aren't, is, don't have the breaking power than positive rates do. So that's just another thing in their tool chest that's disappeared. The second thing that's disappeared is that historically, they used to pump money into the economy. And so, especially around election time, you'd get politicians and they would go, we'll promise you this, we'll promise you that, we'll put people back to work, we'll borrow money, we'll create, uh, we'll create jobs, we'll give tax savings for this or that. Well, we're seeing that right now. Yeah, we're, yeah. Seeing, we're seeing that right now. And of course, normally, they don't pump money really hard into the economy when you've got full employment. In Canada, our unemployment is under 6%. In the U.S., it's under 4%. These are historically low. Now, back in 1970, if $1.60 worth of debt would create about a dollar worth of, of economic growth. Today, uh, it takes $3.70 worth of debt to create a dollar worth of growth. And the, the problem is, the more debt you stack up, the more debt you have to repay and the more of your budget goes to repaying that debt. And so eventually, this borrowing money and to put in the economy has start have, have, starts having such big counter effects with all the debt it creates and the interest costs attached to it that with each passing year, borrowing has less of an impact on the economy. And so right now, we're at a point borrowing doesn't do much for the economy. They, that's just another tool that's frankly not working anymore. Well, and we've seen, and that's, you know, not to get political or anything, that's one of the, been one of the criticisms of the Canadian federal government is they've been spending money at a furious rate, and the economy has been in pretty good shape. And there's a lot of people out there that are saying, no, wait a minute, if things go south and you start borrowing more money to boost things up, our, our debt's going to be just absolutely unimaginable. It's already up there. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, one of the other things they typically do is tax cuts. But when you take on so much debt... you got to get taxes from somewhere to pay it. you got to get taxes from somewhere to pay it. So, you know, Trump had a tax cut in the U.S. here recently, but he's got no room to do another one. Most other countries have been increasing their debt so quickly, that, and they've also been increasing their taxes so quickly, that there's very little wiggle room in there to do anything. So a lot of the tools that governments have had in the past to reduce the effects of a recession, uh, they don't have right now. So trying to pin an exact date on, on when a recession is going to happen is frankly a mugs game. And you know you've, the gutter is full of people that have been predicting recessions for the last couple of years. But what you want to do is you want to realize that with all the things that you're seeing in the economy and markets so high, 
and with the government's central banks having reduced a toolkit to deal with these problems, that you want to be very, very careful, and nobody knows when it's going to happen, but you want to be prepared ahead of time because when it does, if you're prepared, it's going to cut the damage to your portfolio down by a lot. And that is what we're going to get into next week. You use the analogy, it's like you've got 300 people in a crowded room and somebody yells fire. Everybody tries to get out at the same time. And uh, that's a difficult one to time, right? You take a look at all these uh, hedge funds and algos. These guys have pride themselves on saying, well, we're faster than everybody else. Well, look at their returns. Uh, most of these hedge funds and algos have had very, very disappointing returns, uh, way less than the market over the years. And they've proved quite conclusively that most of them are not capable of getting out of the market ahead of time. They get trampled just like everyone else. So what this uh, show is designed to help you do is not for you to rush out and sell everything, but just to start having some reasonable seeds of confidence or of caution in your investing habits right now so that when in, uh, something does happen, you'll be prepared for it and not panicking, rushing to the exits, trying to get out like it seems most everybody's strategy is right now. Okay, one question here before we wrap up this week's episode, Ron. It came to us from Sandra. She has Encana shares, which I inherited when these shares were going up, up, up. I guess I should have sold them then. Is Encana still a good investment? Encana is a Canadian company that has some pretty solid uh, resources in Canada and also has some very good acreage in the U.S. If you go back to 2010, in Canada was trading at around $35. And so like the rest of the Canadian oil patch, it's currently down to $6.32. And it's even for the last 12 months, its low has been five and a quarter. Its high has been 17 and three quarters. So it's down almost by two-thirds in the last year alone. Now, if somebody asked me a question of what I would do personally, if, uh, if I owned in Canna, I would tend to keep the stock right now because I think most of the worst is behind you. If you were looking at adding to a position in an energy company, I think that you want to look at some of the international uh, energy companies like uh, British Petroleum, Royal Dutch, and the list goes on and on of names that I think that you can own that have, you know, Exxon, some of the big, big names that are non-North American that have a lot of the resources elsewhere because Brent is higher than WTI or West Texas Intermediate by about 10%. And of course, if you're outside North America, you get Brent prices. Natural gas is about three to four times as high in Europe and Asia as it is here. Also in Canada, we don't have pipeline access. So if you want to add to a position, I'd say that the safest way right now is to buy some of these international stocks that are in the energy business because not only are you getting companies that have access to much higher rates of in the oil and gas that they produce but also they pay good yields i mean typically we're talking about stocks through the three i just mentioned have yields between four and six percent so uh, if you're looking at adding uh, go international 
If you've got energy stocks, including in Canada, and they've got a reasonable balance sheet, I just hang on. Okay, Ron. Well, there you go. If you have a question for us, don't forget, you can reach us uh, through the Making Money site at cfcw.com, or we've now launched a website, and our website is called Let's Make Money, and you can go there, see all the uh, catalog of our previous shows and Ron's Money Minutes, and also you can send us your question to comments at letsmakemoney.ca. We'd be glad to hear from you, and we'll answer them in upcoming episodes. We're back next week with another installment of Making Money as we look at some of the defensive measures you can take to protect your portfolio in what appears to be a looming downturn. We'll join you then. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.